Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 62. In this week's episode, we will be covering the following articles. First, Congregate acquires browser and mobile 2D battle royale, survive.io. Second, Roblox's 10 biggest games of all time, each with more than a billion plays. Third, Riot Games creates new publishing label. And fourth, Network acquires Funko Pop Blitz from NBCU's Ashes. And on the podcast today, we have myself, Joe Kim, a.k.a. JK, a.k.a. my Call of Duty gamer tag, Kiminator, and Adam Telfer. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have a gamer tag. No. <laughs> if you don't know, Mishka is out until next year, unfortunately, and Eric got sick last night, so unfortunately, he is out as well. But to make up for their loss, we are joined by Emma Farrow from Congregate. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Big fan, so excited to come on today. Great. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing at Congregate? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I've been at Congregate for a little bit over five years. Uh, I was actually outside of games before that. And so I lead business development for the publishing team at Kong, um, but have touch points kind of across all the other areas of the business as well. So more recently, uh, a big focus on the corporate development side, obviously, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. But generally, my uh, my role is to find the right partners and games for Kong to work with and on. So whatever form that kind of takes. Great. And in terms of updates, Adam, you had an update? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to do a correction from last week's podcast, um, specifically talking about Playrix. So I was mentioning a bunch of the acquisition targets that they had over the last year, um, kind of like dismissing a few of them as like saying, okay, these guys are smaller players. Um, but there was one that I didn't do my research on, and that was called Visor. Um, these are the developers of Klondike Adventures. Uh, Playrix actually did a strategic investment into them uh, back in September 2019, and, and they're definitely a bigger player on mobile. Um, if you've been following them, they've actually been a pretty big rising star in the simulation category with their Klondike Adventures game. Um, and to be honest, like that category simulation has been pretty long abandoned uh, since Township and Heyday have effective, effectively owned the category. Um, so it's been, it's a you know huge kudos to them for being able to, to make that game work. Right, cool. And then in terms of an update from me, I started playing Call of Duty Mobile. So, you know, I played when it first came out, but started replaying and I have to agree with Mishka. It's pretty fun, but you you can certainly see where the monetization issues are in that game. And so I do think they do have a fundamental problem. Having said that, uh, another update is that the investment banking from Jefferies has come out with a note suggesting that they believe uh, Call of Duty Mobile will, will do about 300 million in gross revenue in 2020. So a little bit of a more optimistic perspective from what Eric thinks, but I'm going to have to agree with Eric's uh, estimations where I think that 300 million is going to be really tough for them to hit. So anyway, I do think that, uh, again, I think the game is fantastic, but from a monetization perspective, probably does not hit the overly optimistic targets that the the larger investment community believes in. So I think we should... we should do this again when Eric is on and when yeah, Mishka yeah, is on. Because yeah. we keep yeah. missing. Like, I just I missed the one <laughs> podcast where Eric was ripping on me. Um, because the prediction was, I think mine was 200 million. I think Eric was 150. I think those are the numbers. And then I think Mishka was billions. I, don't, I forget what, <laughs> what Mishka said. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like right now, what is it sitting at? Like 70 million so far? Something like that I could check the numbers, but I think it's doing roughly 3 million a week in net, something like that. 
Okay, so it's a seventy million. And it's been out for like million? two months. Of course, downloads and and player base has gone down. Like I have to rejig it. It's it's very likely I'm wrong, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, it's like we're two months out, and knowing Tencent, they can turn this stuff around. So I wouldn't throw away saying that. You know, like I, I think you're right that two hundred million gross max is likely going to be around where it is. Um, so I think it's mostly going to be between Eric and I, but I wouldn't throw it away. It's a fantastic game, but they do need a fundamental change, I think, to fix the monetization. Like, <laughs> so, so when, but when, when you say fundamental, grenades isn't going to do. <laughs> yeah, like I, I want to cover this again when when Eric is on, so he can make fun of everybody again. But oh. like, when you say fundamental, do you mean like the actual things they're selling, or are you saying like how they're selling stuff? Both, right? Like we should we should dig into this later, but I just don't. People are not going to be motivated to buy cosmetics for things they can't see like grenades and best guns you can buy in that game are not that different from the base guns, right? And so they're just going to have problems monetizing longer term. And so, and I think a lot of the monetization that they've done to date are people who are excited about the game, but the longer this game goes on and they've, they've already attracted a huge audience you're going to have to provide something fundamentally different to incentivize uh, purchase behavior, in my opinion. So anyway, yeah. Let's... But, but, I, but I think like, again, we should go to this window. Yeah, yeah. But like they, they set up the, the bones so that they should be able to produce guns, especially like crazy weapon skin guns that have small perks to them, right? That don't kill the competitive atmosphere, right? Get to the same level as PUBG at least and hit a reasonable level. So I agree with you. They do have the pieces there. So I wouldn't say like when you say it's fundamental, it's like they, they just need to produce weapons and they're not. On oh, top of that, like there is sales, there's sales issues, of course. But I think the root of it still is that the actual things you're selling is not good enough. So right, focus right. on weapons. I don't know. Do you disagree with that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, I would have to. So for me, I'm just jumping into uh, FPS because uh, I'm, I'm going to probably start working on an FPS game. But so I haven't played all the other games to see where the monetization can get to if they do that. But I don't know. Even with the better guns, unless they introduce uh, more of a, of, of a pay to win component there, I, I don't know. But yeah, let's dive into it in, in, in the future. Emma, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> Uh, you know, I played it only briefly at the beginning. I'm pretty terrible at free-to-play shooters, so uh, it turned out pretty quickly. You know, I've been listening to you guys debate it back and forth for the for the last couple months, so I don't I don't have any real additions. You should, should be say? good at Call of Duty Mobile because I believe there's a lot of bots in that game. Like the first time I tried Battle Royale, I won, which which is like should be impossible. Yeah. Every, everybody <laughs> wins. Every so clearly bots. If you're still in the bot stage, no wonder you still love the game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually started right. playing the game with my PlayStation 4 controller on my mobile, and it got way better. <laughs> it's so much better of a game, uh, but no one else will. So that's fine. All right, so jumping into the first article, which is Congregate Acquires Browser Mobile 2D Battle Royale Survive.io. And so Congregate basically acquired the game and IP for this game, which is actually both a browser and mobile-based title. It was made by a two-man squad, Justin Kim and Nick Clark. And one interesting aspect of the article were quotes actually coming from MTG rather than Congregate. So Jan Steglich from MTG was quoted as saying, we are excited to add Survive.io to the Congregate first-party portfolio and are looking forward to accelerating our buy and build strategy in the near future. 
And as we mentioned in the introduction, with us today, we have Emma Farrow, who heads BD at, I guess we should call Congregate Kong. Is that, is that right? <laughs> uh, colloquially, <laughs> yeah. Either, okay. either is fine. <laughs> and so it's great that you're here. And I thought we could ask you some questions with respect to the overall strategy and the, you know, sort of the, the acquisition approach that the company has. Mm-hmm. So the first question I want to ask is, could you tell us a little bit more by what Jan meant by the buy and build strategy? And then based on him kind of being quoted in the article, do you guys work together with MTG or what does that relation look like from an M&A perspective? Yeah, so by build and buy strategy, we really mean that we are acquiring an asset or a team um, and then using our existing resources and infrastructure to help them scale up. So, you know, the build part of it is with respect to growing existing games and existing franchises, launching new ones then within those kind of uh, existing franchises. But we're launching them from our and using our kind of existing resources. So we're not necessarily buying external big hits like you see potentially some other um, companies out there doing. Right. We're really um, putting the investment in on our side. So over time, it means we're building out a portfolio of franchises and valuable IP. Um, and we work closely with MTG on this. So they acquired us about two and a half years ago. Um, and since then, they've really provided regular guidance on the M&A front capital to help us um, bring in these games and teams that we're really excited about. Um, so they've been a, a good partner there. And we've uh, we've now done four acquisitions. So we've done two studio acquisitions. Uh, we have our first party studio, Ultrabit, down in San Diego, who we acquired um, probably a little over three years ago. And then we have a... Um, another first party studio synapse based in Chicago. And um, we acquired them actually right around the time that we were acquired by MTG. And they are the team behind uh, animation throwdown, our uh, Fox animated IP collectible game. So on top of that, then we've done the the two IPs, which are um, more recent. So bait heroes, which actually is another um, really two man team behind the game. Uh, Social, uh, 8-bit kind of dungeon crawling social MMO, uh, which actually started on Congregate.com and, and we helped bring over to, to mobile and PC. Um, and then obviously most recently, uh, Survive.io. Great. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Adam made a comment last week when we were talking about Playrix's uh, sort of acquisition strategy about, you know, they were somewhat different and, and seems sounds like their strategy is a bit more similar to you, although maybe at a little bit of a different scale in terms of buying teams that they believe in that don't quite have those hits yet, but mm-hmm. investing in them and bringing their expertise to bear to help them scale up. So uh, it sounds like the advantage of that, you know, the comment Adam made was that, you know, because sort of a lot of the the companies with with uh, scaled products already are highly sought after and have already been acquired, that that's uh, probably a better opportunity. So I, I guess my second question is that there does seem to have been a lot of changes for Congrip from sort of web game publisher making the transition to mobile. And then more recently with the split of the adventure series and Hyper Hippo. So could you talk to us about like, what is the current state of Congregate? And, you know, in terms of like, have you made the complete transition from web? And then is the strategy, this buy and build strategy of smaller studios and trying to like uh, do a lot of these kind of deals to, to kind of achieve scale? Yeah, so Congress has been around for about 14 years now. So along with kind of the, the industry as a whole has seen a lot of change over the time. 
Um, I think a lot of developers and players know Congregate best from the, the heyday of Flash games and their place on Congregate.com. Um, so I think the the site at that time really became a proving ground for developers to come experiment with new genres, new mechanics, uh, get some really meaningful feedback from the, the highly invested player community. And we had um, developers big and small uh, on the on the platform for a long time. So it, Supercell was kind of one of the, the early developers putting their games up on Congregate.com. Um, a lot of indie developers, a lot of kind of, uh, you know, first time teams putting up a, a new game and just trying to get some feedback. Um, so I think, you know, Congregate.com has a pretty storied history and, um you know, idle games were actually one of the genres that came to life on Congregate.com. So that, along with kind of other successes that we saw on the website, actually helped us pretty naturally build out our publishing program. So um, our early publishing successes were really bringing over games from Congregate.com into mobile and other, excuse me, other platforms. So um, you know, I think important games to to mention across there are uh, Realm Grinder, Cosmos Quest, and then um, probably most notably Adventure Capitalist on the idle side. So, you know, the way I think the way that we see um, our our relationship with these developers is that, you know, like Hyper Hippo, um, I think it's a, a pretty natural evolution for two growing partners. Uh, if you're if you're finding success in a in a certain game, to either continue working together to the point that it probably reaches the kind of acquisition stage, or more naturally split and uh, have them go off and self-publish. So, you know, after several years of a, a really fruitful partnership with them, um, they've created a publishing arm, and we're we're super happy to see them. And um, you know, we shared a, a lot of best practices um, on platform side and and various other kind of pieces of publishing to help them off on their way. So yeah, no, we're, we're super happy with, um, with how that relationship has gone to date and um, expect we'll still continue uh, working together in some capacity going forward. Right. And um, that sounds like a really friendly, friendly relationship there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I, I think it's pretty key to creating long-term relationships that you're supportive of the, of the partner and kind of whatever their desires are to continue to, I think, force somebody into a publishing partnership that's no longer interested in those services, I think will only be detrimental to kind of your, your brand and um, what you're trying to achieve in the end. Right. Um, but yeah, sorry, I didn't even answer actually what our major publishing strategy is right now. So um, it's very much where our focus is. So I think that while we are still very much supporting Congregate.com, there are fewer developers uh, putting their resources into developing for browser-based games. And so with that, I think um, really where our, our focus and our emphasis as a company is, is on the publishing and acquisition side. Those are definitely the, the growth vectors for the company. So, um, you know, at this point, we really consider ourselves a cross-platform publisher with a mobile-first focus. Um, but we're really just trying to meet developers where they are and make sure that we are providing for, for them in kind of the, the services and platforms that they need and that they're developing for. Got it. And then, you know, we've talked about sort of the M&A strategy for a lot of companies like Zynga, Playtika, and, and Playrix on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. And kind of some of the statements that we've made as far as the market is, is um, 
uh, as far as the market is, is that, you know, kind of like, at least my personal belief is that the sort of the mid-tier companies, uh, I, I think the term I use is slim pickings, right? Like, I, I think it's been pretty hollowed out, but there are companies like, you know, uh, Zynga's uh, CEO, uh, Frank Chabot, who keeps saying that there's huge opportunity left to continue to grow via acquisitions, which I don't quite believe. But what, what, what's your take in terms of the overall state of the, you know, sort of M&A space and, and uh, the, the number of targets left and, and kind of where you think that that market's going? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that when you look at the trends of the recent marketplace, acquisition is one of the major ones. Um, so it does feel like the market is consolidating pretty quickly with um, talented teams getting kind of snatched up by the larger companies. Uh, but I think, you know, it makes sense from a financial perspective for most of these for most of these teams, because any proven product is obviously going to be significantly less risky to continue to manage and scale than uh, any bring something new into the market market. So, you know, I think it's a competitive M&A space, but one of the primary reasons that we were actually acquired by MTG originally um, has to do with our pulse on the indie community, both through the platform and then through the publishing arm. So I think that we're able to see teams and games that might be at a, a smaller scale now, but we see that potential to, to help grow and scale through our live op studio, through our publishing program, um, through kind of a, a few of the different avenues of, of working with developers that we have on the table right now. So I think that there's still a lot of opportunity out there, but agree that Right now, a lot of those mid-tier developers have kind of uh, been been taken up out of the market already. So, and I and I think that's also where IP acquisition becomes more interesting as well. Right. In that you don't necessarily need to focus on um, what teams are out there, but what great products and you know standalone products are out there. Um, so, I think that's a, another way to look at diversifying the portfolio and extending extending the reach of the company. Right. And I, but I would also differentiate, like, I, I think the market you guys are going after in terms of the smaller studios with potential, I, I think that's probably, I mean, that's not a market that there's a lot of buyers at, but that mid-tier, yeah. I would say, is, is where it's been pretty much taken up. And so yeah, last definitely. question for me. So what, what are, if you could, you know, just for, for our audience out there, for any indie devs out there who might be interested in working with, with Kong, could you tell us a little bit more about what you guys are looking for? And um, I'll also put, you know, whatever contact info you, you're comfortable with us sharing in the show notes if, if, if they're interested in, in, in contacting you about a potential publishing deal. Uh, yeah. So right now we're looking for talented developer studios focused on free-to-play games, um, primarily targeting the uh, mobile platform. So I think that with plenty of trial and error over the years, we've found that our strengths as a publisher really lie in scaling up games. So that's um, through user acquisition, support on the product and live operations side, help with monetization, both IAP and I think especially ads uh, monetization. And so we're looking for partners who are looking to um, find someone to grow their games. So um, primarily we're looking at games and genres that we've found success in previously, um, where we've built out these specific learnings. So idle is one of those major um, target genres that we're looking at. Um, and so we're looking for games that are later stage development, um, ones that are at the soft launch stage or later, even potentially live games that, that have the um, KPIs to support the proper marketing. And um, so at that point, we're looking to run some tests for these partners and, and validate the assumptions that we're making around marketability. 
So, um, yeah, we are very, very much looking for, for those developers out there. So, um, please contact us at bd at congregate.com. Um, can also find it on the website. Cool. Adam? Um, yeah, I was actually wondering how you see yourselves competing with, um, guys like Voodoo and Lion Studios, et cetera. Um, cause it sounds like there, there is some overlap there, especially as hyper casual has grown. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, one of our most recent uh, successful games, actually, is a game called Zen Idol, which is kind of a hyper-casual uh, idol game. And so I think that when you look at the kind of um, IPMs of the game, it looks more like a hyper-casual game than an idol. But yeah, it has kind of the, the KPIs and retention monetization metrics of an idle game, uh, which has made us able to scale it at um, a really great rate. So I think that we are probably looking around the same space, but I think that there's plenty of room right now in the market for those games. So um, while I think there, there's probably going to be increased competition as hyper-casual does continue to evolve, that's something that will will kind of roll with the punches and, and figure out as it happens. Yeah, but I'm assuming you guys have a pretty, like from my perspective, you guys have a pretty big value add comparing it to Voodoo and to Lion, et cetera, just in terms of how you're handling your dev relationships. Yeah, no, for us, I think it's um, developer relationship first. And I think that probably is a big differentiator. So we are looking to create these long-term lasting relationships with developers that ideally, ultimately do lead to this kind of M&A strategy. Um, so we are trying to, to build these out. We have the, the user acquisition. And I think especially on the product side is where we'll excel compared to some of those companies. Yeah. And kind of the best practices that we've built out around um, now 60 plus games that we've published. Yeah. Um, and looking through your portfolio, it looks like a lot of it, of course, is like idle mm -hmm. um, and say trading card games types of designs, right? A little bit of tactical um, RPGs types of designs. Mm -hmm. um, as you just said, like Zen Idol looks like you're trying to to dip into uh, hyper-casual um, style designs, right? In terms of Idol. Um, mm -hmm. Is there any other genres that you're, that you're open to right now? Yeah, I think um, when we're looking, we're very much open to games that kind of span across casual and mid-core. So obviously we have a lot of success built out from, um, as you were saying, the collectible uh, trading card games from RPGs, uh, more on the, the casual side as well. So we're very much open across genre. It really does come down to the, the KPIs and what we're able to um, really scale and grow. Yeah, because and then based on the KPIs, I'm assuming then you're looking pretty late in development with some of these partners. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and for, let's say, recent trends, right? Like, I think the the game of 2019 has definitely been Archero mm -hmm. um, in terms of that design. And it's been interesting looking at Congregate's business where you guys have always kind of operated in this hybrid casual space, yeah. right? Where it's not necessarily hyper casual, um, but it is operating at some sort of like higher polish, higher IAP um, focused, hyper casual style design. Uh, what are your thoughts on Archero and, and do you see Congregate kind of um, trying to own that space? So I'd say we try not to follow the trends too closely. I think it, it's a better business model for us to look at where our, um, where our priorities are built out already and bring games in that kind of fit the, the infrastructure. If we see a, an Archero style game that has that 
those KPIs to support the marketing. Of course, we're excited to work with it, um, but we're not necessarily targeting that style of game. Um, I'd say the only one that we're really actively targeting right now is in the idle space and looking to dominate that space, uh, which I think, you know, if you look a few years back with something like um, Adventure Capitalist and then um, Adventure Communist coming a little bit afterwards, uh, we were really one of the, the front runners in the space. And there have been a lot of other kind of entries into it since then. So that's one area that we are very much targeting. Um, other areas, I wouldn't say there's another specific genre that we're looking to dominate right now, uh, but we're very much opportunistic to, to enter into any of those as they kind of um, present themselves to us. Yeah. So the idle space is super interesting. I've always been fascinated by it. Um, and I think like Congregate always has had this portal on its website with some incredible yeah. flash games on it, right? Um, where, what was it recently? Like there was, um, there's been a whole bunch that kind of, um, I say, kind of continue the trend from where Calibri is gone, right? Mm -hmm. So you've yeah. got like, you guys, of course, did Adventure Capitalist and then there's uh, Idle Miner, Idle mm -hmm. Factory. Um, there's been a lot of push towards say, almost merging it towards the simulation game space. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and then on congregate, you have these like, almost like factorio types mm -hmm. of games, but how do you see kind of idle moving forward and, and where are you guys placing your bets, um, so that you can actually own the next, you know, stage of idle? Yeah. So I think congregate.com is still an awesome proving ground for games and mechanics. I think that developers can go there in a pretty low risk way and, uh, try out these new mechanics that it doesn't necessarily need to be a polished game. Um, it just needs to be a fun mechanic that the community will really, um, really get behind. And so Kongai.com is definitely an area that we're monitoring and seeing kind of what these trends are in terms of what the, the developers are coming up with next and in terms of creative new ways to approach the genre. Um, but I, I think there, there are a few different kind of um, sub genres, even within Idol. And there have even been debates um, in Congregate on whether idle is a, a genre or a mechanic. Um, but I think that if you look at um, kind of there's a, a hyper casual space, um, a more RPG space, and then a more simulation based space. And so um, I'm actually in the background kind of working on an idle taxonomy uh, to, to try and um, delineate some of those. But in terms of where it's going, I think we're doing a lot of testing right now on what the market's interested in. And so that's when you look at the portfolio and you see kind of this new entrance into the more hyper-casual idle space, that's something that we're testing out and seeing um, what kind of legs it has. And, you know, we're, we're doing the same with RPG, we're doing the same with simulation and seeing um, which aspects of, of each one is really interesting to the audience. And then I think we're also in a great position because Ultrabit, our first party studio, has an idle engine that they pretty continuously iterate on. And so a few years ago, actually before the, the last presidential election, we came out with a game called Pocket Politics by them. And that was their first kind of entry into the idle market. And the most recent one being um, a, a newer game called Idle Frontier. And it's all on the same engine originally, but they've just done so much iteration based off of uh, cool new things that they've seen in the market, 
um, ideas that they've had and just the KPIs have absolutely shot through the roof with all of these changes. So we're able to continue kind of working with the, the engine and with both on the third party side and on the first party side. And I think that um, we're in a pretty good space to, to kind of collect all of that information and, and use it to continue growth there. All right, I'm done grilling on that. <laughs> I'm always happy to talk idle. No, I'm, I, I can talk about idle for hours. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should I move on? Uh, let's, let's move on. All right, article number two, Roblox. Um, so there's an article here. Roblox is 10 biggest games of all time, um, each with more than a billion plays. Um, so if you've been living under a rock, uh, Roblox <laughs> uh, is a massive user-generated uh, platform um, for well, cross-platform on uh, PC as well as mobile. Uh, just recently, actually, Sensor Tower uh, announced that Roblox had made over a billion dollars in revenue just on mobile. Um, so, of course, add on the PC revenue there. And to me, Roblox is a, a true like free-to-play success story. Right? They took on an incumbent, a giant incumbent that was Minecraft. Um, they actually launched four years before Minecraft, but still. Um, has had very, very slow and steady growth and now has managed to outpace Minecraft's growth. Um, and if you um, have a chance, I would definitely check out the GDC presentation by the Roblox team about what they believe kind of created that critical mass and tipping point of uh, Roblox's, I would say, hockey stick uh, revenue and player curve. Uh, right now, it's grown to about 150 million quarterly. Um, so with this growth, um, you can project roughly in 2020, they'll be hitting about 750 million a year, uh, which is very, very impressive. Um, yeah, so Roblox, user-generated content platform, works class platform, focused on Gen Z. It has all the buzzwords that VCs love. <laughs> uh, they beat out Minecraft, in my opinion, by being um, better content creator tools and, of course, by being free-to-play. Um, the games on the platform um, are created by the, the players themselves as well as by Roblox. Um, and I would equate it somewhat to like a the Flash game portal for this generation. Um, kids can actually use like basic to advanced tools to get modes in the game, which they can publish on um, across the entire platform. Um, revenue is mostly from cosmetics, but of course each game additionally can actually create their own IAPs, which definitely move into the pay to win uh, realm. Um, so to that point, there's actually been a plenty of absolutely crazy in-app purchase economies within this portal uh, with developers um, seemingly getting, you know, no blowback from those players. Uh, this article specifically talks about 10 games, each having about a billion plays, which of course is very, very impressive. Um, and the content itself actually looks more like, say, YouTube Kids for games. Uh, with absolutely batshit crazy content <laughs> that's obviously created by kids. Uh, my favorite one is work at a pizza place is 1.9 billion plays, which I'm sure every, <laughs> I would love to have that on mobile. Um, you basically run around and deliver pizzas. Uh, Key Thing was launched in 2008, so it definitely had some early adopter bias. Um, but then you look at some of the other options. You've got like Meep City, Adopt Me, Go to a Prom, lots of like dress up games, kind of like a Habbo Hotel uh, within Roblox. And then even have one interesting one uh, called Murder Mystery, um, similar to like Werewolf or Mafia party games, uh, where you're actually assigned a role and each player is kind of like have different win conditions. So very, very interesting to take a look at these games that have 
1 billion plus. This is the next generation of content, uh, but just don't start making party games from mobile just yet. Um, I guess the one question you've got to have here, right? Like it's from these billions of plays that these games are getting, does that actually make sense to build a game within Roblox? Uh, my answer would be very quickly, no. Um, so you can look at the numbers, very small, lucky devs. Uh, in 2017, they reported about 30 million in payouts from Roblox. And with only with roughly two devs reporting about 2 million in payouts for the year. So that's pretty much the cap. So if you actually look at the growth of the platform since then, you're looking at like 8 million a year for the absolute top of the pyramid with a clear early adopter bias due to discoverability. Um, so yeah, my takeaways from this, Roblox, of course, amazing story and definitely everyone should be researching it about how they can take on a major incumbent. Content is very kid focused and very unpredictable. And then is this a true business? No. JK? Yeah, um, just to update on that 30 million number though, I think uh, that number went to over 100 million the following year and I'm not sure what it is currently, but it's it's growing. I, I agree with you with yeah. uh, your, your general assessment though that it's still kind of a smaller business and uh, limited opportunity, but um, I did actually have um, an opportunity to talk to some people with uh, some good information about the company and I was able to learn a few things that I thought were pretty interesting. And the first was that, it seems like the way that the demographic splits out is actually two two types of um, users of Roblox. One are the really young, like 10 to 16 year olds who are on Roblox playing the game. And then there's like this second group who are the creator group. And it's like from 17 to, you know, getting smaller and smaller to around the college age who are basically the creators creating content for the younger kids, but not really playing the games themselves. Second, um, it sounds like there are rumors that internally at Roblox, they do have a very strong desire to expand the functionality and the demographic reach of the platform. So like the, the example that I was cited was that there's a strong desire for them to uh, kind of have the next Fortnite come out of Roblox. And the implication of that would be that we should, you know, assuming these rumors are true, likely see a push for additional capabilities, not only from like a graphical fidelity perspective, but I would assume all sorts of additional dev and programming tool support. And I, I would assume that the first step in that would be better programming support beyond just Lua, for, for example. And I also think it's it'd be interesting to see if um, that ability to get a wider uh, sort of creator base it will be possible. And I think we can kind of look to see in terms of the market, some of these um, new sort of no code options like App Onboard's BuildBox and Manticore just announced their set of tools to see if that's actually possible or not. But that should be a good indication for Roblox, whether they would have the ability to expand that creator base significantly uh, as well. And the last point I, I wanted to uh, talk about was that we had talked about developer rev share and support before and it does sound like they were they're making some efforts there uh talking with some select developers but um you know i agree with you adam it's not there doesn't seem to be a concerted or very serious effort there yet and uh we did get some information actually via twitter that uh this is just a rumor so it's not confirmed but it sounds like the dev payouts may be something like 18 to 20 percent to the dev so if, if true, that doesn't sound like it's great. And the final point I want to make is just a question to Emma. You know, Emma, you know, you guys have at, at Kong have used the web as kind of like a testing grounds for bringing stuff to mobile. 
Do you guys look at Roblox as well? Is this a good indicator of looking at the top games on Roblox and seeing if any of that stuff applies to mobile? Yeah, I think there are a lot of parallels to draw between Kanye.com, um, especially several years ago, and what Roblox is doing now. Um, I think it is a great proving ground for kind of early developers to go on to and, and try out these these new games, these new uh, genres, mechanics, um, what, what be it. But it, it's an area that I think we should probably be paying a little bit more attention to, honestly, in terms of watching trends and watching what the the new kind of indie developers are, are actually working on. So uh, I think it's somewhere I'm going to turn more attention to going forward. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we can end this uh, article with just, I, I, I've got a, uh, a developer tip. So uh, I believe that the next big hit on Roblox, uh, it, it, since kids are the main uh, demographic here, is a fart game. So anyone out there, if you make a fart game, I think it'll blow up on Roblox. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Third article, Riot Games creates new publishing labels. So... <clears throat> Riot announced a new game publisher called Riot Forge to work with third parties internationally to create games in different genres for League of Legends. It wasn't clear from this article whether Riot Forge would actually be a publisher, meaning they would provide support services in addition to funding for League IP-based games or act more like an IP licensor. And, you know, the trade-off there would be, you know, IP licensing is high margin, lower risk. So I'm not sure, but I assume that's the path that Riot is going. But, you know, doing actual publishing can be a much bigger business and, and definitely more interesting. And you can control the, the quality of the products better. Uh, in either case, for me personally, I'm really excited about this because as a fan, you know, I'm a huge fan of the League of Legends characters, the game world. And this is obviously one of the world's best game IPs. So definitely really exciting. Um, so yeah, Adam, what's your take? Um, yeah, it feels like the gloves are actually coming off at Riot, which is really, really nice. Um, the game announcements, uh, of course, now a publishing arm, uh, they really want to expand the league brand as far as it will go. And of course, use all the talent that they have at Riot. Um, but I would definitely disagree with you that they're going to go straight up licensing with this, like lower risk. Sure. But I just don't see Riot selling out their IP. Um, these guys are definitely going to be going down a Nintendo path more than, say, a Disney path with this. And I think quality control for them will be such a huge part of their decision-making criteria around these games. Um, almost to the point that like, if, if I was a dev working with them, I would be pretty scared, um, especially if it was like a licensing deal. Like If it took them 10 years to make a new game at Riot, do I really want to hitch a licensing deal to this company? Right? Um, do I really want to set up those pipelines and, and quality control? Um, so I'm assuming that it's going to be a close knit publishing arm with pretty clear quality control. Um, I'd assume that they'd be bringing these games into like the league launcher. Um, so into the actual riot ecosystem. Um, so they can, you know, bring that huge value add when they're bringing up these publishing deals to say, not only are you getting the league IP, but you're also, you know, getting access to all of these people coming in every single day. Um, so that kind of like pulls me in and says that, okay, this definitely should be a tight knit publishing arm um but yeah then they're going to making sure that those games actually hit a quality bar and so from the notes it actually sounds much more like partnerships so not licensing uh, because if you look at the two games announced so far so one is called ruin king um, it's an rpg turn-based strategy story-based um the developer 
forget what the name was, but they're excited the developer of Darksiders Genesis, which actually just got a whole bunch of really, really good reviews. Um, so interesting to take a look at that, but story-based, turn-based strategy, that, that kind of speaks to me as like a one-off experience, um, as well as Convergence, which is the second game, action platformer. So maybe like a Dead Cells game um, is what I would read into that. Um, you know, use specific characters, specific regions to kind of expand the league IP. But overall, these all just kind of sound like side stories, like comic book sequences. And I think even with one of these devs, like the the, um, the big, you know, reason why they were working with them was was with a specific artist uh, with a very specific visual style. Um, so these sound like side stories. Um, so I think that makes sense because it's not going to be competing with League. They don't want to be throwing um, services into their launcher that are competing directly with the game time that people, quote unquote, should be spending uh, in League, but they want to expand the IP and they want to give players something else to do when they retire to League. That makes sense. Um, because, yeah, when you look at the actual quote, we are thrilled to announce our first two partnerships, Airship Syndicate, Double Sounding Games, who really understand how to bring unique style to the League of Legends universe and tell deep stories that players can immerse themselves into. That's the quote from the, the BD guy there. And I think that sounds to me like one-off story experiences, which I think makes sense for the publisher. Yeah, we should try and get somebody from Riot to talk about it. Maybe we could do a separate podcast with those guys. I'll, I'll, I'll send out an email. Yeah. Emma, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think uh, the the kind of spin-off hypothesis makes sense that it's um, kind of a different story arc in the in the universe. We actually um, worked with Double Stallion on uh, Speed Brawl. They're um, not sure if it was their most recent game, but it was um, a similar and action platformer game. Um, and even just looking at the the kind of trailer for Convergence, um, looks like they're they're very much staying true to that same art style. So um, I'm I'm excited to see it. Cool. All right. Uh, last article. Um, Network has acquired Funko Pop Blitz. Um, so just to set the stage, uh, NBC Universal Game Division was shut down in September 2019. And that's all thanks to JK. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd throw that jab in there. Now with Eric gone, I need a little bit of sass on the podcast. <laughs> Um, sorry, <laughs> that's completely false. But anyways, they continue to operate. Seems like they're actually going to be selling off some games where it actually makes sense. Uh, just announced uh, Network is buying Funko Pop Blitz, uh, a game that uses NBC IP and looks like it uses the, say, Disney Zoom Zoom or probably closer Disney Emoji Blitz model. Um, so just to kind of give you context on that model itself, um, Emoji Blitz seems to be in, say, a steady place for Jam City. Um, they actually seem to get it from the, the Disney de-investment in games. So they, it looks like they were pretty hand, handed that game uh, in the state that it was. So likely it wasn't a very profitable game, but Jam City has continued to, say, grow it at a pretty um, steady rate since then, uh, currently reaching about $2 million a month. Um, and have grown the RPI from $2 to about $260. Um, so comparing this to, say, most casual puzzle games, this is likely a very low CPI LTV ratio game, uh, which the IP is absolutely needed to actually get the scale. Um, so Disney, of course, being one of the biggest IPs in the world, um, likely the ceiling is pretty low for a Funko NBC game. Sorry, JK. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, so the ceiling is probably pretty low for this, but still back to Funko Pop. 
Um, so Funko Pop was built by TikTok Games, uh, not to be confused with TikTok, the social network. Uh, they're actually based in Burbank uh, here. Um, it, it was actually a studio working with Jam City on Panda Pop, their successful bubble shooter. So definitely have uh, the track record. Uh, article says about five to six people will move to support the transition to network, although it's unclear whether that's just the NBC people or that's also the TikTok people. Um, yeah, that, that seems pretty small to me. Uh, but anyway, so far, the numbers don't look actually that great for the game. Um, although it was just a soft launch and obviously uh, NBCU getting shut down doesn't really help it execute during that time. Um, so after about three months, the RPI is about 10 cents in comparison to 40 cents for Disney Zoom Zoom when a typical casual matching game is, is over a dollar. Uh, so from top of the line metrics, that doesn't look great yet. Um, but Neil Young, who's the CEO of Network, uh, explains that this is really a synergy play. Um, same sort of things that we're talking about with Congregate. That plugging the game into their platform, Network's scale platform, will allow the game team to actually execute at a level that they hadn't before. Um, and this is actually fresh off of their 40 million investment in November, which, you know, which part of that was definitely to speed up their publishing arm. Uh, so likely they had a, a bit of cash, saw the fire sale on this game and saw the easy co-location with their LA studio and are wanting to actually prove their live ops competency can actually be scaled outside of legendary and match three RPGs. So that is likely what their investment pitches for the scalable value. So they want to make sure that they can prove that out. Um, so the big question is, is, is this the right game though? Of course, they're going to be adding a whole bunch of other games to their platform, but is this the right one? Uh, the low RPI is definitely a worrying sign, but top of the line numbers definitely don't tell the whole story. So network could see something we don't, maybe a strong retention baseline, strong IPM and marketability. Um, and then they kind of graph the per user monetization from Moji Blitz and say that this could be a, a viable business model. However, it's likely the deal needed to be made to make sure that Funko Pop was happy, NBC was happy, uh, and Network was left with enough of a slice. It's going to be pretty tough to make break even. Um, so they definitely have their work cut out for them to surpass Emoji Blitz and definitely to compete in the puzzle space. But that being said, I would say this design actually synergizes better with Network and their core competency, like event-driven live operations, than, uh, say, Tetris Royale. Um, the Emoji Blitz model is definitely all about aggressive events and an economy that supports that white collection. Um, so I think that they've this game maps to their core competency better um, than Tetris Royale. JK? Cool. Yeah. So I think for me, it's probably best if I recuse myself from commenting on this article, just given my past work history and since I was responsible for that shutdown. <laughs> <laughs> However, I'll, I'll just leave it as I do think the game does have a few key challenges that team is going to have to overcome, which I think are pretty formidable. Having said that, I know a couple of guys going over there, in particular, Victor Wang and Andrew Wag, I've directly worked with before, and both of those guys are superstars. They're fantastic, and I think Network is really lucky to be getting those guys, and so... Congrats to them for finding a good landing spot, and I definitely wish that full ex-NBCU crew, whoever those guys are, the best of luck. And just have a question for Emma, actually. Like, did you guys evaluate this deal? Did this come across to you guys? And just between us and the listeners on this podcast, maybe you could give us some inside info on, on what you saw. Yeah, we actually did speak briefly to NBC Universal, <laughs> Universal uh, about the opportunity a month back. 
Um, I can't give too much insider info here, um, but it actually, it was not a, a great fit for us and kind of our targets on the acquisition side, in part because we're really looking at kind of two paths when it comes to IP acquisition. So one is live games that have an organic following that we can help support through live ops and, and continue maintaining and growing that way. Um, and the other being games that have proven out marketability, um, and we can support them both through live ops and, and UA. And this one, given that it's in soft launch and that the the KPIs weren't quite there at this stage, um, wasn't a great fit for kind of either of those categories. But you know, I I have a lot of a lot of hope for the game from a personal standpoint. I, I love the the concept and um, hope it does well at network. I. I know that the NBC Universal team was was looking to hopefully keep a few of their team members working on the game. So I don't know if they are some of those uh, five to six that are going over there, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Cool. So I think that is it, unless there are any remaining comments. That is it for Twig62. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining us. And yeah, thanks for having me. That's a wrap.